So if you're willing this morning, I would like to do this by a show of hands. Let's make sure they work. Raise your right hand. Okay, some of you have a moment there, wait. You know, okay, so we, so we know they work, right? You, you guys at home, same thing. Okay, you need to raise your hand even if you're sitting alone in your living room. God sees, all right? <laughs> Who is glad that 2020 is behind us? Okay, now, put yourself on the line for this. Who is more hopeful about 2021 than they are about what we experienced in 2020? Okay, okay. Let's hope, right? But I want to ask this question now. What if 2021 isn't really in any substantial way different than 2020? Who here is actually fearful that 2021 might just be a repeat or even worse than 2020? Okay. Okay, there's something about New Year, isn't there? That, that always births this excitement of possibility of what's to come. And yet at the same time, we are now exactly three days into the new year, which feels different, but substantially, is it actually in any way? You know, I was... Thinking about this, and, and, and it kind of reminded me, it's so easy to focus on the temporary, present kind of things. The now. What, what's my life situation? What, what's work going to be like? What, what's family going to be like? Is my restaurant going to be open? You know, these kinds of things. In the next few months, it's easy to focus on now. And, and you know, and I was reminded of something that when you focus on the temporary things, you kind of set yourself up for disappointment. Because the reality is, the temporary might not actually be better in the time that we want it to be better than what we've just come through. And if now is your focus, that brings with it a whole lot of hurt and a whole lot of disappointment because that which you're kind of anchoring yourself in can so easily evaporate right before you. We've experienced this, haven't we? Which of us hasn't in our life had these moments where we've set ourselves up with hope because it's got to be better, it's got to be new, it's got to be different only for it to fall apart or not materialize or come across worse. And I'm not just talking life in COVID world like we have right now. We've all experienced in life things like this. But you know what I was reminded of? God is so much bigger than the temporary. That while we focus so much, don't we, on, on the current things, the present things, the temporary things, God has bigger things in mind for our world, for our future, but also for you. And if we take time to just, I think, pause and remember, wait a minute, God has a bigger perspective than just what I'm focusing on here and now. We remember that he's bigger than what's here and now. And what that means is whether 2021 is better or worse, easier or harder, 
it doesn't matter. Fundamentally and ultimately, it doesn't matter because you know what? God is the same through both of it. And God proves himself faithful through all of it. You know, God is there in the easy times, but he's there in the hard times. God is there, not just in the present, but also in the eternal. And no matter what 2021 brings, God, God, And you know what? For me, that brings such a sense of peace and joy because it gives an assurance. It gives a confidence in hope. Isn't that good news? No matter what 2021 brings, is God there? Is God there in 2021? No matter what it brings. So what do we have to fear? What do we have to lose? In fact, what do we even have to get worried about or upset about or concerned about? Why do we have to hold back? No, that we can embrace whatever God has in store for us with boldness and audacity and joy because I promise you, God will be there in the midst. Now, even as I say that, don't you even feel like, I'm setting us up for failure right now. And, and when you kind of find yourself thinking that way, it's like, oh my gosh, am I tempting him? It's like praying for patience. Like never, ever do that, right? And so we become timid, don't we? We become timid in our prayer life. We become timid in our relationship with God. We find ourselves holding back a little bit because we're almost afraid to put ourselves out there too audaciously and too boldly because we almost feel like we're laying down the gauntlet and setting up the challenge. Like God is sitting there going, oh yeah, well, I'll show you. You ever feel like that? You don't have to show your hands on that, but you ever feel like that about God? Oh my gosh. I find myself thinking that way about God all the time. And I'll tell you what, God will take that and he slams me in the face with it in a good way, but not in the way you'd think. He slams me in the face with it by kind of coming to me and going, who do you think I am? And I want to ask you that question. Really, deep in your heart, how do you think about God? Do you think about God as some kind of adversary? who's looking and delighting in tripping you up and calling your bluff and proving to you that you don't quite got this as well as you think you do and rubbing your nose in it to prove it? If that's your picture of God, Jesus has some some, some very different words for you today. No, the picture of God revealed from the Bible, from the pages of Genesis all the way through Revelation, the picture of God that Jesus comes to show is not a God that delights in rubbing your nose in your failures and rubbing your nose in your false confidence. No, it's the God who invites you into bold, audacious confidence, not in yourself, not in the things of this world, not in the temporary, but in him. A God who says, plant your feet in me and you can't lose. Plant your feet in me. And even if you find yourself on a cross, you can't lose because no matter what the present brings, God is there. Do not panic. Don't be afraid. It's the message of the prophets and the message of the scriptures. God, God is there no matter what the future holds. And no matter what today shows, and you can count on him. And that is that not good news or what?
And so all this school year, we have been dipping our toe into this message of don't panic, spoken by the prophet Isaiah, this, this amazing prophet who, who, who brought the word of God to ancient Israel over the better part of his life, praying and listening and seeking God all the way back in the 700s, not AD, but BC. We're talking a honking long time ago. Prophet, men and women that God would raise up to remind his people of who he is and what he's like, and more specifically, that he's faithful. You know what I mean by that? That like when he says something, he means it, and his word will always come true, and he'll stick himself to his word. He'll bind himself, that God has bound himself to you. That when God promises you something, he binds himself to you going, it's ironclad, and I won't break it because I am faithful. You can count on me because it's so easy to forget. Would you agree? He raises up these men, these women, these people that become called prophets, sent to his people to remind them of what he's actually like, to call them back to going, dare to trust me again. And in the midst of that, bringing hope Joy, peace, the confidence that comes from knowing there is something that is sure and certain in this world. God, a prophet, a man raised up by God to bring those words that God had spoken, those promises, you know, that he had made and to help people later in the situation they find themselves in that might be unique, to understand how God's word and promise still translate and hold no matter what the landscape brings our way. And so the prophet Isaiah finds himself raised up by God speaking, speaking to his people, but through his people speaking to the world, a light to the nations is a way it would be described. As a hope to those who don't know God as well. That this God who is sure and certain, this God who makes promises doesn't just make them. To a small select group that he calls his own, but to everyone. Extending a hand to everyone, extending a hand to you. Anyone. Anyone simply willing to take hold of it. Extending a hand saying, no, no, I also am here for you. My promise is also here for you. Come learn what it means to have something more than the temporary, the present, the now, but something ironclad, eternal, forever. It's God's invitation through these men and women, these prophets of old and prophets of today, continuing to bring God's promise to us to help us understand it maybe in a new way because of what we face or find ourselves in the midst of. Now, this prophet Isaiah, kind of an interesting guy. You can read his book in the Old Testament, as we call it today, and it can be divided into two major 
parts. Chapters 1 through 39 and chapters 40 through 66. Here's what's fascinating. Chapters 1 through 39 are Isaiah writing to people, to the situations that they're facing in his lifetime, in their day. But chapters 40 through 66 take on a different tone, a different character. Isaiah starts writing about things to come, things that will happen long after his lifetime, a hundred years into the future and beyond, of things that he's starting to see and perceive on the horizon, but things that God is also revealing to him, showing the people today that God is not just here in the present, But God is speaking in the present to the future as well. Giving a people a message of things that they will never face in their lifetime. But through it, giving them a hope that God is so much bigger than 700 BC or 2020 AD or 2021 as well. That God can speak now, not only to now, but what's to come. And when you know what's coming your way, and the promise of God is in the midst of it, that brings hope. That brings strength, confidence, assurance. Assurance from a God who's on both sides of the now and not yet timeline. And so Isaiah speaks to God's people, a people who according to this prophet and the words of the Old Testament show themselves to be not really into it, kind of half-hearted, kind of doing their own thing. Kind of hard-hearted is maybe the biblical language would give it, but it doesn't mean walking around all stone-cold and mean and nasty, though certainly some of them were. But more just kind of checked out and apathetic, just kind of rolling and cruising, knowing God's kind of there, kind of doing his thing in the background, but focused on the present the today, the temporal and temporary. And it's this message of this prophet continually calling his people back, calling them back, going, no, 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 don't you see? Wake up. Wake up, rub the sleep out of your eyes. Pull a wax out of your ears. Listen. No, God is speaking. God is on the move. God is active. He's on the scene. And he wants to be interacting with you. He's not just doing it for you. He wants to do it with you. He wants you to be a part of the equation and and in something deep and intimate with him. He wants to be more than Santa Claus, bringing a blessing one time a year, bringing a a moment of joy and, and, and maybe provision. No, he wants to be in life with you, in intimacy, in relationship as Christians will so often describe it. He wants to be doing it with you. And so this prophet Isaiah calls his people back to repentance, but he warns them. He warns them that God is true to his word. God is faithful. And that means all these promises he's made will come true. And that also means that God will hold by his justice as well. 
that God is just. You know, if anyone in this world who really does what's right all the time and avoids what's wrong all the time, it's God. Of anyone who sees that's what right is blessed and what's wrong is called out, it's God. And Israel found themselves in a place that wasn't right. If you were listening, you heard it, checked out, apathetic, disinterested, hard of heart. And it's like you read this book and you almost get the sense of God like a parent beside himself, trying to do everything in his power to get this rebellious child so obstinate and stuck in his way and on a path of what we could simply call destruction, doing everything in his power to try to get his attention, to wake him up, to help him to see, to woo him back, to welcome him back, to comfort him back, to warn him of what's to come. Some of you parents have struggled with this and finding yourself powerless in the midst to get them to see. It's heartbreaking enough when you're in a relationship with one or two people that you love. A spouse, a sibling, a child, a parent, I don't know what it might be. Maybe a close friend. Who like from anyone's vantage point you could see is on a path that's just leading to ruin, right? And realizing no matter what you say, no matter what you do, it isn't making a lick of difference. In fact, it even seems to make it worse at times. And finding yourself powerless, I can't speak because it makes it worse, but if I don't say anything, where does this go? And just watching it play out before your eyes, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? To watch someone go down that path and there's nothing you can do, imagine what it's like for God. Watching thousands upon thousands, no, no, millions, billions upon billions of people play out the exact same thing. And sitting there going, what, what, what more can I do? And all the warnings and all the threats and all the wooing, it doesn't seem to do anything. And Isaiah tells these people, this path you're on, it's leading to your destruction. Specifically, it's leading to their destruction in the present and the here and now. Suffering under a, a power that proves itself violent and cruel. And God, I'm letting them know it doesn't have to be like this. You don't have to fear this, but people, well, we don't listen, do we? And so we come to Isaiah chapter 40. And it shifts. And God starts to give the prophet a message. A message not to the people now. And not just a message of what's to come. But a message in the aftermath of what that coming will be. Let me put it this way. Isaiah warns the people and he promises them that judgment will come that it has become inevitable. But God speaks to the people after that judgment is realized. You'll go through this, he says. You'll face this. And it'll be hard. 
But chapter 39 is not the last chapter in the story. Because at Isaiah 40, he starts to speak beyond. He starts to speak to the people after they've been shaken under what Isaiah calls the judgment of God. I don't like that phrase, do you? But that's what he calls it. The judgment of God. He starts to speak to people after the judgment of God. And these are the words he says. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. That her sins have been paid for that she has received from Yahweh's hand double for all her sins. Because see, God knows. God knows where Israel's future is going. But he gets ahead of it. Because God is there. He gets ahead of it. And says the day is going to come where you're going to face hard things. It's going to feel like the judgment of God is upon you. And to Israel it was. You are going to endure things that you never thought possible. And it's going to break you. It's going to wound you. It's going to shake you to your core. It's going to shake you in that place where you find your inner strength. It's going to shake your confidence. It's going to shake your faith. It's going to shake your faith in me. But I'm Yahweh. And at that moment, I want you to hear. When you find yourself in that moment, you need to remember it is not the end of the story. No, because there is something in my plan even after that comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from Yahweh's hand double for all her sins, that it is done, it is finished, it is accomplished. You are forgiven. There is a time after after judgment. There was a time after struggle. There was a time after defeat. And I think of what these words must have been like. To the people who found themselves exiled from the promised land, you know, sent out. Sent out just like Isaiah said was going to happen. Finding themselves under what felt abandonment by God, driving out by God, no, punishment by God. And hearing these words now with fresh ears. Now when it mattered. Now when they were listening again, when the apathy is gone as it often goes in times of struggle. And God speaking to them, comfort, comfort my people. No, your sins have been paid for. Your sins have been paid for in double. You have received from the Lord's hand double from all your sins. And I love where he goes next. He says, a voice of one calling. Where? In the desert. Prepare the way for Yahweh. 
A voice of one calling. In the desert, prepare a way for Yahweh. Not in the city, not in the home, not in the good place, but in the abandoned place. And the desolate place, because deserts are places where you're left to nothing, aren't they? But what what does Isaiah say? No, Yahweh, Yahweh is there. Yahweh is found in the abandoned places. The desolate places. Israel knew the wilderness well. They even knew it as a place of judgment. Coming out out of Egypt, consigned to wander there for 40 years in their rebellion against God, and yet God chose to dwell there. And he speaks to these people in a time of what feels like abandonment. Listen, comfort my people. A voice is calling in the desert. Prepare a way for the Lord. Make straight the wilderness, in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged place as a plain, and the glory, the glory of Yahweh will be revealed. And together, humanity will see it. Why? Because the mouth of Yahweh is spoken. And when Yahweh speaks, you can plant your feet in it. God is on the other side. He is on the other side of judgment, on the other side of abandonment, on the other side of of struggle and suffering, on the other side of pain, on the other side of worry, on the other side even of death. It was John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who picked up on this phrase from Isaiah chapter 40 as a literal voice calling in the wilderness that God's glory was to be revealed and that God was to show that his plans are in place, that God will come and be in our midst. And that even when God is up on a cross, in the place of utter abandonment, God shows himself most clearly as there, as in control, as present, and prepared. This is the good news that God has been bringing through prophets since the time of Isaiah. Don't be afraid. Don't panic. Because God is so much bigger than the present, no matter what it might hold. And that brings joy, strength, confidence, and hope. And he dares you to believe it. This is the message of the prophet Isaiah, and I want you to read it. Because we can talk about the book, but it's different than knowing the book. Would you agree? You can know something, but you can know something. And I want you to know what God has to say to you because he's spoken. If you'll just take time to listen or to read. These next few months, we want you to read it. We want you to work through it. And we're even going to do some of that today. But to help you along the way, I've invited someone to come up and speak about her experience a little bit. 
with how God speaks through this book, and it's someone who has struck me as knowing it better than anyone. And it's my wife. And she's gonna share her story with you about how Isaiah literally changed her life. Now that sounds like a pastory thing to say, doesn't it? Like, like preach talk? I, I, I just want you to dare to believe me in this, that I'm not exaggerating when I say that it is a book that literally changed her relationship with God and her life. So would you welcome her up with me, Tina? Why don't you come on up? Good morning. So for those of you who don't know, this is my wife, Tina. We have been married. It'll be 20, I'm going to let you fill it in, five years come this. Uh, you got to give the date. July 27th. Oh, boom. Okay, there we are, July 27th. The, the, the tests are like working here already, right? And uh, honestly, thanks for coming up and doing this today. Um, you should have saw the eye roll she gave me when I called her up here, but she was prepared for this. And uh, I was prepared in that he talked to me about doing this. There was never a definitive thing until like this morning, like I walked into church and we're like, all right, we're doing this. So oh, prepared, maybe. There maybe. was a plan, baby. Both sides, both sides okay. now and in the future. All right. Okay. But what I asked Tina to talk about several months ago and reinforced it over the last several weeks, multiple times, was um, <laughs> just some of her experience with the prophet Isaiah. And this is really the reason why. You can listen to me talk from the stage. But you know what? Many of you view this as my job. It's what I'm supposed to do. I've gone to school for this. So it's kind of wrapped around. And I think the result is, it's a loss of credibility with some of you. And I get that, no hard feelings, I really do get that. But I want you to hear it from someone who has not been formally trained. Someone who doesn't do it as a career. Someone like you who did it strictly for the purposes of her own conviction, joy, relationship with God and what he was doing in her, right? And that's true for all of us. So, tell us the story. What brought you to Isaiah? Okay, so I started reading Isaiah uh, in 2001, so almost 20 years ago, so it's probably summer of 2001, so 20 years ago, which is crazy. Um, this was the time that David graduated seminary and we were at our very first church and I was very much looking forward to that, just doing ministry together, getting to know all these people in the congregation. I just thought this was gonna be an amazing time. Um, and it turns out that it wasn't. It was actually very, very lonely. Uh, David, go okay. I was also a stay-at-home mom, okay? So I didn't have a lot of adult interaction, and David would go off to, to church, and he'd have his whole day there, he would come home, and I'd be like, tell me about your day, and I need grown-up time, and Dave tends to err on the side of caution in terms of confidentiality. So he'd come home and he'd be like, yeah, I can't really talk about that. Or he would come home and be like, oh, I've been working all day, I don't wanna talk about work. And so I found myself in a place that was very, very lonely. And the excitement that I expected to have at being a pastor's wife, 
it, it kind of dwindled. And I'm in a place that I'm sitting there thinking, I'm just bored with life, I'm bored with God. And, and you kind of realize that if you're bored with God, it's not that God is boring, it's that something's going on wrong with me. So I was talking to Dave one day and I'm like, you know, I think, I think what I need to do is just start reading the Bible on a regular basis. Um, what should I read? And we started talking about, well, should probably be in the New Testament and we should probably be about Jesus. And I just thought, if I have to read John 3:16 one more time, I might vomit, really, because I've heard it so much. It's so stale, which is a horrible thing to say, but it was. And in my mind, if what I should do sounds awful, maybe what I should actually do is what in my mind is the worst possible thing. So at the time, the worst possible thing for me was anything in the Old Testament. Uh, what's the worst thing in the Old Testament? Prophets. Prophets and poetry and yuck. Um, what's the worst prophet? Well, it's Isaiah. It's 66 chapters long. So I, I kind of threw a challenge out to God. You know what, God, you said your word is living and active. And if so, I should be able to find you in the most awful parts of the Bible. So I decided to read Isaiah. So this was a time my oldest was a baby. And so she was this wonderful napper and she would take two or three hour long naps. And I didn't care if my dishes were done. So I would spend that time instead of like taking care of the house, I would sit down and read the Bible and I'd have two or three hours and I sat down and I read through all of Isaiah and I didn't understand a single word. I just didn't. It was poets and prophecy and history that I was unfamiliar with at the time. Didn't understand what was going on. I got done with all 66 chapters and I'm like, eh. And so I was t talking to Dave about it and he says, well, maybe you need to sit down with a commentary. And at the seminary, he had a class on Isaiah and they said, if you're going to read any commentary on Isaiah, it's John Oswalt's, Walt, John Oswalt's commentary. It's two volumes, super, super thick. Um, this is what you should read. So he gives them to me and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go through this and I might not understand what I'm reading, but I'm gonna read every single word. Even, I mean, all kinds of- Footnotes and everything. Footnotes and everything. All right. Um, there was parts that were like in Hebrew, like that he had translated. I'm like, I might not understand what this says, but I'm gonna kind of go with every single word I read. And it was crazy how much, it was crazy how God worked, how God showed up. I really went into Isaiah thinking, I'll put Jesus to the side and I'll learn about the God of the Old Testament right now. I will, <laughs> And Jesus showed up from almost the very first word. And it was just incredible that I didn't even realize what I needed. I, I kind of did, but that God knew even more. And so I spent, I didn't put a time frame on it. I'm just, I'm just this is what I'm going to do. And so I started, I would read, I would read my Bible, then I would read the commentary, then I would read my Bible again, and then I would write notes in my Bible. And it was just this long, slow process, but I wasn't thinking about the timing of it. I just thought, this is what I'm doing. Um, ended up taking me six years to get through all of Isaiah. And that's with some gaps and other parts of the story. But yeah, so let, let me ask you, because I, I remember this time. Yeah. I also started drinking coffee, so that helped a lot. <laughs> And, and, and there became this thing, it was, it was from, from an outsider's perspective, 
watching this passion grow in my wife. What was her favorite thing to do? It was this chair, this mug, this area, her Bible, her thing. It's like, it felt cliche. It's like, if it was set up that way, it couldn't happen. But like watching her just like drawn to it, she'd get a few minutes. I got to read this. What is she talking to me about now? It's about Isaiah. And I remember you going through this, but it can make it sound like it was easy. And I know going through this, it actually wasn't easy. Um, in fact, wouldn't you agree that most of the best things that we experience in life don't often come easily? That the things that we truly find depth and richness and passion and joy in are things that we work at and struggle for and wrestle with and invest time in. And I remember seeing that with you, but I know it came with challenges. So what were some of the struggles you had after that first round, but then you got the commentary you're going through? Sure. Some of the challenges were just, I didn't know Israel's history. And, and you kind of got to know that to really get the full depth of what's in Isaiah. So how'd you learn it? What, what, how'd through, you get around that? Through that commentary, through asking you questions, through, I guess that was really Yeah, it. yeah. How else? What, what other challenges? Um, so that was a difficulty. Um, a difficulty was that I was a young mom. You know, my brain wasn't always working the best. Um, my kid doesn't, didn't always take the long naps that I wanted her to. Um, what else? You know, sometimes you just do the same thing over and over again, and you just kind of get bored. And like, okay, I'll set that aside. And then a week goes by, and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't open my Bible once. Or I would pick it back up, and I'd be like, ah, kind of bored with this. And so trying to figure out different ways to stay in Isaiah without putting it aside. What were some of those ways? Tried memorizing okay. parts of it. How'd that go? It went really well. Hmm. Because um, it sounds horrible. Some, sometimes there were struggles. I mean, I, I think I have the first eight chapters memorized. Um, yeah, okay, that, I, that's just like craziness off the bat. What, what did you uh, find by doing that, though? Long, like, it just sounds like a lot of work. It gave my but, mind some, a way to stay engaged. It... Okay. Um, it gives, I can't sit down now and, and say verse one all the way through verse, you know, chapter eight. I can't go, you know, rote like that, but I can probably tell you parts of it. And when people are talking about Isaiah, I'm like, oh, I know that part. Or, you know, especially like Christmas time and you're doing all the Christmas passages out of Isaiah and just like, oh yeah, I got that. I know right, that. Or, right. oh, you said that word wrong or you know, just that kind of stuff. <laughs> What were some of the other things you did to, to kind of keep yourself focused, to keep yourself moving, to, to find the ways that God was interacting with you? You memorized. What else? What else did I do? Um, a lot of coffee. A lot of coffee. So I'm not a, I'm really great at starting projects. I'm not really a closer. And so um, within this time, so we were, we were at our first church for a while, and then we came here, and um, I'm still going through Isaiah, but very, very slowly. I'm getting toward the end, but again, I'm not a closer, so it's not in my nature to finish it. And you had, was it Reed Lessing come out to give a talk on Isaiah? And I thought, I have to get done before he comes out. And so it was just kind of a get done, get done, get done. Okay, so some of these external motivations. Yeah. Uh, you know, one thing Tina didn't mention that I was thinking of too is like, if you ever take a look at her Bible, she probably has more written in it than Isaiah has written in I it. I wrote lots of notes. Uh, notes, reminders, arrows, underlines, things like this, just little things to help keep herself Yeah. Tuned. Something that's really cool about that too is that, you know, so I had two more kids while I was going through Isaiah. So I've got three kids and they would see me every day in my 
favorite chair with my favorite mug, and they would see me reading the Bible and writing all my notes in the Bible. And so I have places in Isaiah where, you know, your kids want to be just like you. And so there's like scribbles for my kids in the Bible. And at first I'm like, what are you doing? No, no. And then I step back and I realize they want to be like me. They're seeing me study this. And that was really, really cool. Um, God is, the other thing is God is really, really cool. It's not just a study. He really shows up in ways that it's just like you see his personality. You kind of realize God is not just out there. God is with us. God is invested in us. And there were times that, um, there's there's a passage in Isaiah that says, like a woman in labor is going to shout out. I think you talked about it a couple weeks ago. And I read that when I was two weeks past due with my youngest daughter. And it's just like, the timing of that is funny. I would find, um, as I was reading it, when it came to the Christmas passages, it would happen to be Christmas season. I didn't align that at all. It just yeah. worked. Um, there was a time, there's, there's a passage in Isaiah 2 that says, um, people always choose the darkness. You, know, you can choose light. You, you, um, people always, they, they, may, they trade light for darkness and darkness for light and, and just kind of how we're just all just backwards. We're all just kind of messed up. And I'm reading this verse and my kids are playing. Um, their cousin is over and they're playing and they wanted to play God versus the devil. And they were all fighting over who gets to be the devil. And it's just so, so ironic that as I'm reading this very passage, like the kids want to play the devil. I'm like, no, 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 that's not the right way. These are the weird games you play with your kids yeah. when you're a pastor, you know? I mean, it's just, yeah. It's yeah. not teacher. It's not restaurant. No, 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 no. nothing at all. You know, but, but one thing I'd like you to kind of maybe spell out a little bit as well is, you know, a, a lot of the way that this has been described is, you know, it's been a discipline or it's been a grueling thing or it's been a, you know, kind of how do I challenge God and like how do I build techniques around it? And, and none of that really sounds fun. Additionally, kind of heard how God showed up despite it. But so much of this that I saw became a, a passion, not that you had from the beginning, but a passion that grew. It was something almost deeper than the word passion. It kind of got into your core. I mean, it started to like bring delight that you would read in. And it was like truly like the biblical metaphors of like eating a rich feast off the words of the page or, or seeing light shine into your darkness or, or joy in, in, in whatever situation. Can you maybe just share a couple of those sections, passages, or moments that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I grew up in a church that's like cousins to the Mennonites. And it's very... Um, male dominant, women are lesser. They wouldn't say it that way. And, and a lot of them are very honoring to the women. But it, in my particular family, it, it was like that. Women were second class. And so I've always kind of struggled with worth. Um, one of the things throughout all of Isaiah is God is coming to you and just saying, return to me. You're messed up, you're messed up. You're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong. Stop following these worthless idols return to me. And in Isaiah, one of the things that happens is when you turn to him, when you give up yourself, when you, when you die to yourself, you find that, when, when you die to yourself for God, you find that you're more yourself than you ever even realized you could be. And it sounds weird, but by giving up of myself, I find myself more deeply, more fully. Um, you know, times when Dave and I have had disagreements, um, 
and, and just coming to a point saying, I don't want to do this because I love you, but I will, I will forgive you. I will seek forgiveness from you, not because that's what I want to do, but because I know it honors God. Those times are difficult. Those are hard. But I've seen God return to me and say, okay, now you're going to be a better wife. And oh, now Dave's going to be a better husband. And now you guys are going to have a better marriage. God shows up in these ways. Um, you know, so going, so that's kind of one of them. But the other way would be struggling with my worth. That's where I was going. Throughout Isaiah, I mean, he's always, I love you, I love you, I love you. And one of my favorite passages, which is actually now on my email signature, is um, Isaiah 62, 4. And, and it's anyway. It says, "No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married." Um, the idea that God delights in me—that was—that was, that was life changing. I mean, you, you say life changing. That was. Oh my gosh! I don't just have to love God and honor God because if I don't, I'm going to go to hell. No, I do that because he delights in me, because he wants me to, because... Mm -hmm. Yeah, how often do we think God forgives me, God rescues me? Oh, man, He does it because so he has to. But it's almost like this favor. He does it because he wants to. Yeah. 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 Um, I, what's another, so Dave asked me to grab some passages today, so I didn't get No, but that, that's, that's fantastic. Um, what, what, what's the, give us a chapter and verse on Hefzeba. 62.4. Okay. I've always hated my name. Sorry, mom, but I have. And so I, I always kind of have thought, what's my new name when I'm going to be in heaven? And it, it might be Hefzeba, which I don't like any more than Tina. I was going to say, I'm that's I an like upgrade better, there, you know. <laughs> I like the meaning. No, no offense, Hefzebas. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, then, and then when Reed Lessing came out, he asked me what my favorite passage was. And I said, the passage about Hefzeba. And he says, what? I'm like, Hefziba, you know? He's like, oh, you mean Hefziba. So I'm even pronouncing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, right, right, like, right. Oh, well. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, in Isaiah, Isaiah is so big. It's so vast. It, it's not only is he talking to Israel and Isaiah himself, but he's talking to the nations. You just see this God who works so bigly. Bigly? Go with okay. it. Um, God does work bigly. Bigly. That's my word for 2021. <laughs> bigly. Okay. In Isaiah 45, um, it says, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. God is not just the God of Israel. God is the God of the world. He doesn't seek to save just Israel. He seeks to save the whole world. I, I, I love that. I, just, I, I love that. There's other passages in Isaiah, and I couldn't find where they are right now this morning. Um, one of them is talking about God will hold your right hand. And then several chapters later, it's talking about how God takes, how about God takes his right, his sword is in his right hand and he's fighting for you. And the image that you have is of God's mighty sword fighting for you in one hand, but his other hand is holding your hand. It's like, I will fight for you and I will save you, but I'm not letting you leave my side. That is the relationship that God wants with us. And I just, that, that image is so 
cool. And it seems like every chapter, every paragraph, every section, there's, there's these, these phrases, these turns, these insights, these little things, these yeah. nuggets almost yeah. that are woven as part of a bigger story, but in their own right, just yeah. have this power and this, this way to get under your skin at the mm-hmm. right time. And, yep. and there, there's another, one of my favorite verses is, um, I will show you the way to go. I will whisper in your ear. And it's just this, this image of this intimate, you know, not anybody can stand behind me and whisper in my ear. You know, Bob, if you were to come up, that'd be weird if just some guy came up and did that. You know, that, that's, kind of a, that's kind of an action of something for my husband or maybe my kids, but it's, and, and that's what God does to us. He whispers in our ear and he shows us the way to go. So we've have, we have a lot of people here yeah. who have struggled with the exact same struggle I think you've had. Um, bored with God, mm-hmm. um, stuck or, or plateaued not really feeling like the pages of the Bible are, 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 are speaking anymore and not really knowing where to turn. One piece of advice to those people here today. I love Isaiah and, and it really has been life-changing. And I've, I've spoken at Isaiah at, at big groups and I've, I've taught Bible studies on Isaiah and people see my excitement and my passion for Isaiah and they're gonna get into Isaiah and they open up the book and they get like two chapters in and they're bored. Um, what I've realized is the six years that I spent in Isaiah, the six years that were so transformative in my life was not the book of Isaiah, though it was phenomenal. What was so transformative about it was spending daily time with God, intentional time with him. And that's where the transformation comes. That's where God reveals himself. That's where God shows up. He's always there, but that's where he shows up and says, I'm for you. And this is not like how it is for Tina, not how it was for Dave. I'm for you. And I'm showing up with you. And that's what I have found it to be very, very cool. Just start. You know, I, I've, since Isaiah, I've picked up many, many books and not done anything like I have with Isaiah. I've started Hosea. Well, a bunch of them, yeah. Psalms, all, all kinds yeah. of stuff. And, and what I found, it's, it's that daily, well, not even daily, it doesn't have to be daily, but that regular, regular. time, yeah. that regular time with, with God, just saying, I am intentionally giving up of myself because it's my time, it's my sleep, it's my work, it's the time with my kids, whatever. I'm gonna spend this with God and that's when God shows up. Well, T, thank you for coming up today. Really appreciate it.